Welcome back to CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring the authors of today's best books directly to you. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and I'm here with Nikki Nelson-Hicks, the author of the Accidental Detective series, the first volume of which, The Accidental Detective, was released last month. Nikki, welcome. Well, hello. Good morning. I have spent the entire morning practicing the pronunciation of the hero of this series. So bear <laughs> with me while I try and get it right. Jake Ishtonhedji. Exactly. What, perfect. Ishtonhedji. Yeah, you don't know. You get a cookie. <laughs> that is so hard. <laughs> now, can you actually spell that for listeners? Just in case they wanted to do a, a, a Google search on it. <laughs> Istenhegy is Hungarian, so it's I-S-T-E-N-H-E-G-Y-I. Oh, pronounced just like it you'd think, right? Just like you think. <laughs> Istenhegy. Hungarian is a really hard language. I learned maybe three sentences when I was living in Budapest, <laughs> and that was it. That's all I could do. And how long so, were you there? Uh, 18 months. Well, that's good. I, I don't know that I'd have gotten to three in, in only 18 months. Uh, it was, it was, but luckily they're very, very forgiving and a lot of people speak English. So, you know, and they understood, oh, okay. You're American. Uh, I get it. And uh, <laughs> I learned how to uh, say thank you and just, you know, good morning. And, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, I learned how to say, I don't speak Hungarian. All right. Before we, before we get into the book, I read as part of my exhaustive research, a, <laughs> a story about how you came across this name and finally decided to use it. So can you share that with us? When we lived in Budapest, the um, the road that the, the school my kids went to was Istenhegy Ut. And my husband and I thought that was the coolest name. We thought, wouldn't that be a great name for a private detective? <laughs> and our biggest joke for years and years was Jake Istenhegy, private eye. And uh, anyway, we, it was just put it on the back burner forever. And that was just a joke. And then one day I was at a, a con and uh, I got a, someone came to me. My publisher actually said, they're doing we're doing a anthology. And he kind of challenged me to do an anthology to write a story, a pulp noir story using chickens. It's going to be called Poultry Pulp. So I was like, okay, challenge accepted. I'll do this. I was like, yes, I finally found something to use my Jake Ishton hedge. That's just, it's, it's silly. I thought this would be fun. I had no idea it would become a series. I truly, oh my gosh. I wrote the story. It was just a one shot thing. And uh, so it was uh, after he, when that anthology did not come to be, um, that's uh, when I, I started, okay, well, we're going to have to do things. But yes, Istenhegy Ut is actually a, a, a street in Budapest. Istenhegy means God's Hill. So I'm sure there's probably much more of a history behind the name, but I don't know. But I've always loved the name. Well, that was cool. Ishtin I just Hedgy. think it's hysterical that you and your husband were, <laughs> were, were using that name for years as, as sort years. of a joke. And now here it is as, as part of a collection of stories, the first of which, shockingly to me, involves chickens. Yes, it does. Well, <laughs> so that was that was the start of, of Jake. And, and the idea for this series was this pulp collection of yes. pulp noir involving a chicken. Involving chickens. It was going to be called Poultry Pulp, and the anthology never came to be. It happens in small press. But the publisher came to me and said, hey, I really like this story. I'm starting this new single-shot signature series, digital stuff. Do you want to continue it? And I was like, all right, cool. This sounds like fun. Uh, that's going to be kind of a running theme in my life. I pretty much I just say, okay, sure, it sounds like fun, and then get stuck in doing things I have no idea what I'm doing. So, yes. <laughs> How would you describe, for listeners who have no idea what we're talking about, how would you describe this series? 
Whew, this series, this series I've, I've is. I've got my um, own, but I, I'm. I, yours would be better. I, I I describe the genre as voodoo noir. Oh, that's because good. Because it's because it's set in New Orleans, 1930s. My poor Jake Ishinheji is this hapless little guy who pretty much falls into all kinds of trouble. His very first adventure is his best friend goes missing on him because they kind of run this little private detective thing, and he goes looking for it and ends up in the lap of this voodoo queen who lives out in the bayou and gets attacked by giant chickens, zombie chickens. And it's, <laughs> I mean, like I said, I was having fun with this. So I just ran with it. So it's become kind of a joke, zombie chickens. And uh, then the next one, it just, I just ran, it just kind of rolled with it. And so now wait, let, before we go on, y- yeah. you have to, we have to use the titles of these stories because I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know how you come up with these titles, but they are genius. So what's the title of the chicken story? The first chicken story. The first story is called "A Chick, a Dick, and a Witch Walk Into a Barn." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how we got that story? And I'm, this is really how it happens. Uh, I, I write the story. I sit down with my husband. We open up a bottle of wine, play some poker, and we just talk. And we just throw out things. And that's how it happens. And that my husband, I give him credit for that one. He started with "A Chick, a Dick, and a Witch Walk Into a Barn." Oh, that's extraordinary. I mean, if if I just saw that story, I would have to read it regardless, just to see what it was. And the second one uh, is, yeah, uh, Golems, Goons, and Coldstone Bitches. I got that from uh, just talking with a friend who was asking me, so what's the story about? And I just started talking about it, and those words, I was like, that's the title. Boom, that's it. So um, <laughs> I can't really explain why the last three words work. You have to, you have to, it, it's spoilers. And then Boo Daddy's Bogs and a Dead Man's Booty. Oh man, uh, I was doing. I do research. You wouldn't believe how much research I actually do for these these silly little stories. But I came across a legend of Boo Daddies, and I, I must use this for for Jake. And that's how Boo Daddies and Bogs. But I didn't have that last boom boom boom. So my husband and I cracked open the wine. We're sitting there throwing out stuff I wanted. It had something to do with pirates. I wanted it with pirates. And my daughter just pops her head out of her room and goes, "Hey, what about Dead Man's Booty?" And I was like, that's perfect because booty has, you know, connotations and it's hilarious. So that's how – and the fourth one that's coming out um, will be coming out in February. It's called – well, the right now the working title is Fish-Eyed Men, Fedoras, and Steel-Toed Pumps. Ooh, so, that is uh, good. That is good. Cool. I can't wait to see the cover for that. Oh, I can't either. The guy who does my covers is brilliant. He is wonderful. What's his name? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> it's awful, isn't it? I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I have it written down, and I've never met him. I, I've never met him. Uh, Tommy Hancock, the the publisher of uh, of um, Pro State Press, he deals with him. I've never actually met him. I'd love to meet him. Okay, but they it, it, great covers. But I can't wait to see that one because just all the elements are there. Um, mm-hmm. All right, let's. So this is a family affair. These the, the titles of of the stories are a, a family affair. And as you're reading through uh, the stories, it, it it was interesting to me that at the end, sort of between the first story and the second story, there are acknowledgments. And it's like, well, you can read this as easy if you want, or you can just go on to the story. But the acknowledgments were interesting. <laughs> and it was an odd place to put them. So I, I appreciated that. That was kind of cool. Cool. Okay. <laughs> I'm flipping through the book going, what is he talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, because, you know, they came out in a series. So uh, for Golem's Goons, yeah. We might not. Okay, yeah, for Bear, for John. Uh, yeah, for Bear Gun. He was the – he became – because when I first created Bear Gun, it was just, like I said, just a thing. Mm-hmm. But I decided to base Bear Gun upon our friend John because uh, 
he was great. And he's one of those people that's so wonderful. And the whole, the world doesn't know what they've missed because he's gone now. He died last year. He's one of those guys who just, um, he was wonderful, but never really got the, the, the claim, the fame he deserved. So I, I've made him immortal in my bear gun stories. You have indeed. All right. So this is one thing that you write this this series. Uh, you you have also recently published a Sherlock Holmes novel. Mm-hmm. Um, right. That's all right. The title for that is The Shrieking Pits. Pits. Shrieking Pits. So it's shorter than your normal titles, but it's the astonishing tales of Sherlock Holmes, The Shrieking Pit. Tell, tell us about that, because it's, you know, you're, you're taking on an iconic character there, and there's a multiple generations of people that have been reading Sherlock Holmes for years, decades, and um, love the character. How nerve-wracking is it to, uh, to write a Sherlock Holmes story? It is, because the Holmesian crowd are quite rabid. You've got to be very, very careful with Holmes. Um, and this new generation of Holmesian readers are, you know, they're pretty much tainted. I shouldn't say tainted. They're pretty much uh, influenced yes. by Cumberbatch and Downey Jr., who, lovely, wonderful, they did great performances, but they're not Holmes. I'm right. sorry. <laughs> they're not Holmes. Uh, I'm a Jeremy Brett girl. I'll be a Brett girl to the day I die. Uh, Brett, Jimmy Brett is my home. That's when I write homes. That's I have his pictures all over my walls. That's who I see as homes. But anyway, writing a Sherlock Holmes story is daunting because you've got to know all of the stories. You've got to know the very small uh, little bit things. I went to a Sherlock Holmes convention once. Really? And I didn't I know did. there were Sherlock Holmes conventions. Oh, yes. That would be fun. Oh yes, it was. It was. It was very interesting because uh, it was. Um, you had all the Holmesians. I can say there's Holmesians and Sherlockians. Holmesians are people who are more influenced by the Doyle stuff. Sherlockians are the ones influenced by Cumberbatch and Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. So you had the two peoples there. Uh, it's fascinating. The academics who came to this. To, and there were these long panels and people getting in heated discussions about where he went to school and, and arguing. And I just – I'm sitting there thinking, y'all know he's not real, right? <laughs> I would not say that because they would kill me. Um, but I, I love Sherlock Holmes. I do. I love the character. I think it's fascinating. I love the relationship between him and Watson. I think it's wonderful. And it's the reason it's it survived because, uh, you know, a story – this story's over hundreds of years old. And, and Doyle hated Sherlock Holmes. He despised his own creation. He wanted he wanted to be remembered for other stuff that he did, which he's not. Mm-hmm. And uh, he would he would be absolutely aghast if he knew that <laughs> here we are in 2015 and Sherlock Holmes was having this huge resurgence. But I was very lucky when I wrote this story. My editor is English. He's English. He's a Holmesian. And he lives near where this takes place. So he helped me because I'm a very modern, very profane, very American person. So he, helped, he there were there were whole lines of the story. He would just block out and go, what? What is this? This is – what are you doing here? And he was right. I was just trying to be clever, and I just tossed it out. He helped me. His name is Dave, and I can't pronounce his last name because it's B-R-Z-Y-N-I. I just call him Dave, mm-hmm. English Dave. He's wonderful. He helped me with Sherlock stuff. He's going to help me with my next Sherlock stuff. He also edited the last Jake story. Um, it was wonderful. He he helped me because a lot of uh, I'm having also having to write things in a Victorian time. That I have to go. I have to do a lot of research. Thank God for Google. But he <laughs> helped me a lot too, understanding things are in England. I mean, they have so many other. Th- just words and phrases and social constructs that we don't have here. And it was great. If I didn't have him, it would not be the story that it is. 
Well, it was interesting because I read the two back to back. I read The Accidental Detective first, and then I I like sighed and it's like, okay, I'm going to read the Sherlock Holmes thing. I know I'm not going to like this because it's not going to be anything like Sherlock Holmes. It, there's going to be chickens and all this other stuff. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> and I started reading it, and very quickly we're into the Holmes world, and it, it's very well done. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. I, I have two different – yeah, I try to get in two different mindsets when I'm writing my Jake stuff as writing the Sherlock stuff and all, all the other things I write. You always try to get as a writer in a different mindset uh, for what you're writing. Yeah. Now, what's, describe some of the other things you write because your your catalog at Amazon is fairly extensive and it looks like there's a lot of different types <laughs> of things in there. So rather than me trying to explain it, why don't you? Okay. So hard trying to figure out what I write <laughs> a lot of um, weird things. I like speculative fiction. I like horror. Um, a story that I have out right now, it's called Stone Baby. It's kind of Southern Gothic. Uh, what else do I write? So hard to ex- I write a lot of horror, speculative fiction, murder mysteries. If I can't kill someone in a story, I'm not really happy. There has to be someone dying. Uh, that's kind of sad and sick. But it's true. And it's uh, if you've ever gone to a writer's uh, group with a bunch of murder mystery writers, we get really twisted. We've actually cleared restaurants because mm-hmm. we'll discuss decomposition rates and things like that and what's the best way to tie someone up. And people around us are staring at us like, should we be cops? <laughs> no, we're just doing research, I assure you. Um, what else? Uh, I'm looking at the books. So I'm like, I have my little I Love Me shelf. It's where I keep all the books. Uh-huh. Uh, I wrote a steampunk uh, story, although I don't know much about steampunk. A friend of mine contacted me and said he needed a, a story for an anthology he was editing. He needed one more story. Would I write a steampunk? I said, okay, what, what's the challenge? It has to be a steampunk story written with superheroes. Okay, challenge accepted. So I wrote the story <laughs> in seven days. And I give myself high kudos because it's not a bad story. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with it. I've also, uh, I've, um, let's see, I wrote a story called Black Cherry I'm really proud of because it's kind of a modern homage to the Casco Amontillado. I, I, I really, I'm pretty proud of that. That's in another anthology. It's in a couple of anthologies, actually. I've, I wrote a really good story that I'm really, really proud of, but it's never really gone anywhere. And I really love it. The challenge was to write a I like to get challenges. Challenges help me. The challenge was to write a, a historical character in a Western setting, but he has to fight a fairy tale monster. And I wrote this story called Alan Pinkerton. It was it called Alan Pinkerton and the Problem at Gruff Springs. And it's wonderful, but it's never really gone anywhere. And that's one of the most frustrating things about being a writer is that you can write a really great story and it goes and, and just kind of makes a little plink and never goes anywhere. But I write a lot of different things. Basically, I'm kind of a bit of a of a what's the word I can use that I won't get blasted for. Um, <laughs> if you want to get a, a real sense of Nikki's uh, the co- communicative page. style, <laughs> yeah. Go go to uh, go to Amazon. Go to her website. Um, she links out to a, a, a fairly recent interview that she had done that is fascinating. I actually read that interview while I was prepping for another guest, and I'm like, oh, this woman sounds amazing. I would love to interview her. <laughs> but we can't talk like that on this show. can't talk like that. I'm being very good. I'm being very <laughs> you good. You are. Um, let's see. Oh, I've done other radio stuff where they've told me, please don't curse. Please. Okay, fine. I'll put a rubber band on my wrist. So whenever I feel like cursing, <laughs> I slap myself. I told you I'm a very profane person. <laughs> Anyway, um, but yeah, I write a lot of horror, a lot of murder mysteries. Basically, I like to take uh, twisted ideas and try to make them palatable or 
What I really love to do is to write a really horrible story that you don't realize is horrible to the end. I wrote a story called Coon Hunt that just last year won first prize in a fiction, a literary fiction contest, Mm -hmm. which I'm very happy for because I don't consider myself a literary fiction person. But they had to change it a little bit because it's quite graphic and it's quite – it's one of those stories while you're reading it, you don't realize, oh, my God. God, this is horrible until the very end of it because that's the way I wanted to read. I wanted you to be sucked into this grandfather telling his grandson this story. But the grandson, of course, is thinking that it's really about hunting raccoons, but actually he's talking about lynching a black man mm-hmm. in the 1930s. It's grotesque, but it's it's written very simply. I never curse, It's but it's, just, it's really, really horrific. And those stories are fun where you get to the end and you – it, it, there's just such a big twist, and you go, oh, my God. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's why I really love Flannery O'Connor. The first time I ever read uh, A Good Man is Hard to Find, I felt violated. When you end that story and you realize, I've just watched an entire family be murdered. Oh, geez. Or most Edgar Allan Poe stuff. But he is the creator of The Unreliable Narrator. And I love Edgar Allan Poe's short stories, and and Flannery O'Connor. She was really great at doing horrific things, but in a simple way. So, all right, you mentioned you won this literary award, right. and I, I read in an interview that you had done that you were at a writers' conference one time, and oh. you were on a panel, and one of the questions was, "What social obligations do we as writer feel?" our stories or or feel we owe readers with our stories. So can you kind of share that story? Because it's pretty funny. That was, uh, (laughs) we were at a conference and I was on a panel and we were asked that question, what social responsibility do we feel that our stories owe society? Now I write fun stuff. I consider myself a entertainment writer. I write things for people. Um, I write simple stories, fun stories. I'm, I'm here to entertain you and distract you from life So I'm thinking, what am I going to say? So the person next to me has a very definite political agenda for his stories. I know him. He he really wants his stories to change the world. And that's wonderful. That's good. It's good for you. I don't. I'm here really. I'm here. I really. This is my my main motto is I'm here to distract you. You know, while you're sitting on the bus or you're in the doctor's waiting room or while you're on the toilet. That's what I'm going for. Something for you just to be able to have fun with. So when they came to me, that's when I told them. I said, I'm not here to change the world. I'm not a messiah. I'm an entertainer, and that's what I'm I'm here to have. I'm here to have fun stories, um, simple stories, and I want at the end of it, I want you to go, that was a good time. One of my favorite um, compliments I ever received was from a woman who said that she missed her bus stop. She was on the bus (laughs) going from work. She missed her bus stop because she was so engrossed in Sherlock Holmes. And I was like, that's it. That's what I'm looking for because, you know, life is hard. And I'm here to just to make it a little bit softer, a little bit more fun, and just give people a laugh. But I, I, social obligations? Oh, gosh, that just sounds like, wow, way too much work. Yeah, way and too much work. For, for readers like me, I mean, if I'm reading um, – occasionally I'll read one of the kinds of things that I read, which gen, tend to be crime fiction books. And occasionally there's something in there that's, you know – makes you think a little bit, but mostly I read to be entertained. And I think that most people that read in these genres read to be entertained. And it's the people who do this work and write these stories. It's a noble calling and, and we appreciate it. I'm not sure I that you need it. to do anything more than that. Yeah. I'm, I'm not Faulkner. I'm not here to do anything like that. Um, I'm here just to entertain. Although I do love, I'm mean, like Terry Pratchett. I'm a big fan of Terry Pratchett. His books 
I believe literature should work on several different levels. One level is just for entertainment. One level is to teach you something. And one level is to do both, teach you and entertain yes. you. And Pratchett did both. You were being taught things without realizing that you were being taught things. Well, even um, in your books, you're teaching us things because of the research that you've done. I Yeah, well, for instance, in Sherlock Holmes and the Shrieking Pits, there are shrieking pits. I, I happen to have a book full of – I do a lot of research. I, I read a lot of things. And I found these – supposedly in Norfolk – actually, in Norfolk, there are these pits that they believe are haunted, and are, they shriek from the souls of the people that were supposedly killed in pagan rites back during the pagan days. And that's the, the story of these. You can actually go there. It's kind of a tourist trap now. And I thought, I'm going to use this in my Sherlock Holmes story. I wanted to use that, and I wanted to use the fairy angle – because I want kind of a little jibe at Conan Doyle because he believed in fairies. He was a uh, he was a spiritualist who believed in fairies. Hmm. He got he got pulled in. You know the Covington fairy thing that happened back in the early 1900s. You'll be shocked to girls, know that I don't know about that. Oh well, these two little girls took pictures of fairies, and it, it just ran through. It, you can just Google it, Covington fairies. Okay. These two little girls took pictures of fairies. And Doyle came, and he was convinced of them. He pushed them. He helped them publish a book, yada, yada, yada. Of course, it was, they were faked. They were cut out little pictures taken from their children's book. They put on oh. sticks. <laughs> it's obvious. You can see it. But uh, Doyle truly, he was a spiritualist. You know, mm-hmm. he, he also believed Harry Houdini had psychic powers. He used to try to tell Houdini, you have psychic powers. You just don't know it. And Houdini's like, no, I don't. I really, really don't. I'm just, this is all fake. But <laughs> Uh, Sherlock Holmes would have really been very disappointed with his creator. He, he was not a, Doyle didn't like Holmes. Holmes would not have liked Doyle. Just <laughs> fascinating to me. So that that anyway, is sorry. interesting. Nikki, where can we find the Accidental Detective and the Shrieking Pits? Amazon.com is the best place to find them. You can find them on Barnes and Noble. Okay. And what's the best way for people to keep up with you and your interesting life, your interesting communication <laughs> uh, methods with your readers and fans? How, how do we follow your work? I am on Facebook a lot. I love Facebook. I use it as a writing tool and a way to connect. I have a personal page, which you can find me, Nikki Nelson Hicks. I even have an author page, Nikki Nelson Hicks author page. Um, I also have a blog, Nick Cubed. Uh, .blogspot.com. I go there quite rarely. <laughs> and I have a Twitter, Nick Cube, N-I-K-C-U-B-E-D. I try to go there quite a bit. I love Twitter because Twitter makes you have to condense. It's like being witty in a very condensed. Oscar Wilde would have loved Twitter. I like that because it makes me have to focus and be very, very concise. Um, so Twitter, Facebook, I have a blog. Um, I'm going to be at Killer Nashville in a couple oh, weeks. Oh, cool. That'll be fun. Oh, do you go to Killer Nashville? I, oh, Killer Nashville. No, I, cool. I I want to go, but I have not ever been there. But I, I want to go oh. because it's actually a drive for me, which is so much better than jumping right. on a plane. But what's great about Killer Nashville is uh, the TBI actually sets up a murder scene for us to actually have to figure out. Mm-hmm. That's the best part. And Detective Royce is very proud of his blood formula because it dries just the right shade of brown. Uh-huh. And it's great fun. Uh, Killer Nashville is a great avenue for writers and readers. But I'm going to be there. I'm at Killer Nashville. And in November, I'm going to be at Noir at the Bar. I'm writing a skit for that. My skit's going to be quite dark. We're going to kill people in a box. But it's Noir at the Bar is like a big party, and all the charity, all the monies for that go to help the charity, uh, the Adult Literacy Council. And where is this Noir at the Bar? Noir at the Bar is going to be at Blackstone Brewery in West End here in Nashville. It's on November 8th starting from 5 to 8 o'clock. All right. That sounds like fun. I will link to your Facebook page, your Twitter page, your blog. And I will also link, if I can find it, or if you can email 
to email it to me to a link to the Noir at the Bar thing because that's that sounds like fun too for people that are in the Nashville area. Nikki, thanks so much. It was great talking with you. I really enjoyed Thank it. Thank you. It was great fun. Thanks a lot. This is Stephen Campbell for CrimeFiction.fm. You can find us on iTunes and on the web at www.crimefiction.fm. If you do pop by the website, please sign up for the email list. I send out an email each Friday with a summary of the week's interviews. It's the best way to keep up with what we're doing. And be sure you don't miss out on great new books like The Accidental Detective from Nikki Nelson Hicks. Thanks for listening.